You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. All right, how many of you guys did the hand motions? About 30% of us. You, I did not. I was, I was blown away that some of the men were doing them. That was great. But if you were doing those, you were a candidate for children's ministry, wouldn't you say, Jose? Yeah. We, uh, we videotaped the room, so we will be calling you. Uh, on a more serious note, we, tomorrow um, throughout the week, we have a lot of kids, um, as you heard. And um, guys, if you have any day available or days available for uh, some men, just security and parking and things like that, go to the Resource Center um, following the service, and they'll explain to you how you can get involved in that. Uh, but I'm excited about VBS week. It's a, it's a fun week. Mead comes out of his shell a little bit more than he did this morning. Way, way, way more. Uh, so it's fun to watch him as well. And uh, to see these kids get excited for uh, just the Lord, really. They, they, some of them just, they just are led in through worship and memorizing scriptures. There's a skit that just um, teaches them about uh, a theme in God's word all the way through. And uh, they, they, they want to be here. It's, it's exciting. Um, us, us adults could learn a lot from the, the hunger and the, the, the zeal of young kids. Um, but we'll show you videos um, probably next week. And I'll be like, told you so. Those kids get crazy. And you'll see me. You'll get crazy too. Let's turn our Bibles over to Acts chapter uh, 20. <clears throat> Paul is uh, winding down the latter part of his third missionary journey. Um, as he is uh, traveling on a merchant ship with a team of, of uh, men that he's discipled in different regions and different areas. Uh, the, goal, the, the goal is he wants to make it back to Jerusalem, um, and he wants to get there before Pentecost, this amazing celebration and feast. But as they are stopping at different ports, one of the ports that they stop in is this port of Miletus. Um, and it's 28 miles from Ephesus. Ephesus is where Paul had just spent three years ministering. And to kind of summarize what, what God did with Paul in the city of Ephesus, if you remember, we, beginning in chapter 19, um, so many people were converted that the trade of the tourist trade, the, the industry, their, their commerce was basically, um, and their economy was really driven by the, the massive temple that was uh, erected there, a temple that took over 200 years to build to a, a goddess of sensuality or sex by the name of Artemis or Diana. And all of the trades that uh, formed uh, as a result of the tourism and all the people that would come there was a big part of their economy. And that, that economy was completely rocked. And that Trade. All of the trades were completely impacted by the converts, by people getting saved. Paul starting there in a synagogue and sharing um, the truths about Jesus. And then just for three years, openly in marketplaces and in homes, wherever uh, he went, he shared the gospel. He shared who Jesus was. And, and you might say a massive work of God took hold of the city of, of Ephesus. And so as he leaves, 
Um, he's traveling. He would find himself going to different cities. The last city was the city of Troas. But then they would be coming back close to Ephesus on their journey. And Paul would be, you know, they would hang out there for about seven days. And Paul sends for the pastors in that uh, particular area and has a heart-to-heart with them. And it's a, it's a farewell message. It's, it's kind of, he knows he's not going to see them again. They know they're not going to see him again. And he's just pouring out his heart. And as we looked at the first part of this message last week, we said, this is important for us to, to really you know, dig in and, and drill down into because we want to ask ourselves, well, what is it that God honored? This was effective ministry. So what can we glean from? What can we draw from to help us understand how we um, as well can be effective in, in ministering today? Um, in, in Southern California, amen? <laughs> but um, there were three parts to uh, Paul's message. We covered the first two. The first part, he just reviewed his past. You guys know when I first came to you who I was, and he you know, talked about how he served the Lord there in humility and with many tears and, and, and many trials. Um, he talked about how, you guys remember, I was faithful to God's word, um, I, I held back nothing from you guys that was helpful, but I, I proclaimed God's word to you openly, publicly, and, and, and in houses. Um, and the primary focus of his me- message when he, he, he got an audience was to call them to repentance. And he talked about um, having faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And he also talked about the kingdom of God. Then he began to d- discuss in verse 22, like presently, What's going on with him? What's going on in his heart? What's going on in his mind? And, and, and see now, he says, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. Not really, you know, knowing what's going to happen to me. Uh, uh, you, you know, I know that chains could be waiting for me and tribulation seems to always be waiting for me. But none of these things move me. I'm not, I'm not moved by that. Uh, I just, I don't count my life dear to myself. And, and I... I have that perspective so that I might finish the race, the course that God has set before me. The ministry, he says, which I received from the Lord Jesus. And what was that? To testify, to tell people of the gospel of grace, the gospel of the grace of God and the kingdom of God. And we noted that Paul had a calling that, that transcended self, that transcended concern for Self. And he went about ministry in such a way, we noted in verse 26 and 27, um, that he, he just, he slept well at night. He had, a, he had a, well, a sense of well-being and a clear conscience. He's like, therefore, in light of how I've went about ministering, I testify to you this day, I'm innocent of the blood of all man. And I've not shunned to declare the whole counsel of, of God. And then in the latter part, the last part, the third part of his message he begins to talk about their future. He begins to talk about the future of the church there in Ephesus, and he does so by warning them, by giving them some, some, some warnings. Now, at this particular point in time, uh, if, you, if, you, if you just reviewed and looked at the church there in Ephesus, you'd say, man, that is a very, very healthy church. But God knew what was coming, <laughs> God knew the, the, the temptations and the struggles that they would have as they would, you know, find 
find success and find God blessing. There was a lot of life. There was a lot of growth. But God knew what would come with that, and, and the, the warnings were necessary. You know, it's interesting, 35 years later, Jesus would, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 there, he would have something to say to several of the churches, actually seven churches. And they're letters that, that are penned down to these churches. And, and this very church would get one of those letters. The church at Ephesus would get one of those letters. In chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, um, it would say, To the angel of the church of Ephesus right. And the word angel there, agalos, the, the idea is the one that God has sent, the, the, one that, the, the, the one that God has sent to guard the church. Many believe this is referring to human messengers, to the very leadership, to the very pastors, those that Paul had in mind when he's sitting down there in the port of Miletus having a heart-to-heart. And he would say these things in verse 1, says he, speaking of himself, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. And and Jesus, he introduces himself in that letter as the one that's holding the stars or holding the messengers, the leaders of this church in his right hand. The idea is, he's guys, I want to remind you that the church is mine. 35 years later, most scholars believe it's the second generation of this church. The Lord has to remind the leadership, the church is mine. And the church is most effective when the church has leaders that understand this, that walk in a conviction about this. Leaders that fear God, leaders that depend on God, leaders that let God lead and see the church and treat the church as Christ's church. And so, what, what did Jesus say? He's like, hey, I know your works, in verse 2. Your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil and have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them as liars. It's almost like he, he looks at the church and he goes, man, you guys are really busy. You, you, you've got a lot of work. And, and I even see that, that when the, the, the philosophies of the world that are out there and and some of them have even crept into the church. You don't stand for that. You don't tolerate that. You identify that and you call that out. That's just a, a great thing about you. And you've persevered. You've persevered, excuse me. You've, you've, you've pressed on. So you're a serving church. You're a persevering church. You've stood for truth. You made a stand against that which is morally bad. Nevertheless, in verse 4, and this is important, Second generation Calvary Chapel, La Habra. Amen? I can, I can rest and sure and tell you we are second generation. I was part of a wedding yesterday where I was talking to the bride and the groom, and the groom was a young man that I had, I had dedicated, and I had married his parents. I am there. We are there. So, nevertheless, I, I have this against you. That you have left your first love. Jesus saying this. The one that, that, that felt the warmth through intimacy with them. The one that felt the zeal behind their love. The one that, that felt the, the fervency and the depth 
the one that, that, that saw them esteem him when they first met him. That honeymoon love, that awe, that, that reverence, that, that, that fervency, that wonder that they had, that appreciation that they had when, when, when their hearts were first awakened to him and, and were given over to him and were led by him. All, all of that, that Jesus looks at and goes, that, that's diminished. 30 years earlier, Paul wrote to this church and had even commended them for their love. In the book of Ephesians, the letter that Paul wrote to them, there's over 20 references to love in that letter. In chapter 6, verse 24, he's like, Grace be with you all, those who love our Lord Jesus. Listen, insincerity. So 20 years ago, man, they were like sincere in their love for the Lord. But by the time the church in Ephesus reached their, their, their second generation stride, the most important ingredient had waned. And Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 13 to the church, church in Corinth, without love we're nothing. And so a once vibrant relationship cooled down to mere religious practice. When our love and affection for Jesus cools down, our, our love and our affection for other things seem to heat up. And so as a result of losing their, their first love, Jesus calls them later on, the next few verses, to, to remember, go back and remember what it was like and, and repent. And so the warning here that Paul begins to give to this leadership is so timely. Even though it's years earlier, it's so necessary to instill these truths into them and to, to remind them of how God worked initially in their midst. And then now the warning to caution them. Therefore, in verse 28, he begins this third part of his message. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Notice the focal point here. Notice where he begins. He's like, hey, take heed to yourself. The starting point here is, is you and, and where you are at with God. Effective ministry is the overflow of a rich, deep, fervent, loving relationship with Jesus. Paul knows that not one of these guys are going to be able to face the pressures or endure the pressures and the responsibility of ministry in Southern California when it's turning completely anti-God if they are not right with God and walking closely with God. So the first step, second generation Calvary Chapel La Habra, is self-examination. It's just a good place to start, whether I'm a, a husband, a, a father, whatever capacity God has given me to 
be a follower of Jesus Christ, whatever gifts he has given me. I can apply all of this to any Christian at any age, at any stage. Self-examination. And, and one of the ways to maybe start is just to, to go back to where, you know, he, he, he would one day call this church. Just go back and remember. Remember what it was like, Lance, when your love for me was most alive. Remember back in those times, those seasons when you and I, it was just all about you. Your focus was, was on me. Yeah, you were busy and, 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 and maybe very, very busy in ministry and all that, but you really had your focus on me. Remember, Lance, it was me that brought you through. Remember, Lance, it was me that spoke to you and through you. Remember, Lance, it was me that empowered you and gifted. It's, it's going back and remembering and, 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 and starting with just self-examination. Go back to there. And then don't be afraid to go into like, when did it wane and why did it wane? Those seasons when we weren't so close. In 1 Timothy, Paul would spend the first chapter exhorting young Timothy and then call Timothy to examine himself. In verse 16, he's like, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. He, he charged Timothy with a scrutinized life. Timothy, scrutinize your life and, and doctrine to make sure that they are God-honoring. Paul exp expressed the same truth in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 20 and 21. He says, you know, Timothy, in a large house, there are not only, you know, vessels of gold and silver, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware. And some are used for honor and some are to use as dishonor. Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will have a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful to the master, prepared for every, every good work. 2 Corinthians 1.12 For our proud confidence is in this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. Famous reform pastor by the name of Richard Baxter says, and I quote, Take heed to yourselves, lest you live in those sins which you preach against in others, and lest you be guilty of that which daily you condemn. So take heed to yourself. What a, what a great thing to consider as a second generation body. And then, take heed to the flock. After making sure your guys' lives are in order, our lives are in order with God, the second priority is to, is to, to look at the spiritual welfare of people around us. And, and the, 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 the picture here, the shepherd and the sheep. Sheep, of course, they're, they're helpless animals. They're timid animals. They're, they're dirty animals. They are in need of a lot of attention and care. And, 
the Old Testament frequently describes Israel as God's, as God's flock over and over. The New Testament pictures the, the church as a flock with Jesus as our supreme shepherd. In John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus, you know, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, that through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you complete in every good work to do his will. Peter would even say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. So Jesus, as the, the chief, chief shepherd, has, has a major flock, the flock, the body of Christ. And he has different pens, different churches. And as he's divided up his church around the world, he has under shepherds that he has redeemed and gifted and called to shepherd the flock. No matter what age or what stage, the chief shepherd sees his sheep and knows what's best for his sheep and has given us instruction as to how shepherds are to take care of the flock. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, Paul, speaking to, to pastors there as well, or elders, spiritual leaders will say, he's like, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. In the Greek, it's which is apportioned to you, or appropriated to you. And the word shepherd there finds... It's, it's meaning in the root word, which means to tend. The Greek root word, that means to, to tend. The noun poemen is the basis for our English word pastor. And so as, as, as we look at just the spiritual responsibility of all of this, at the, the top of it is it's, it's feeding and, and leading. And it's something that Jesus specifically spelled out in John chapter 21, where remember that talk with Peter that Jesus had when he met him at the Sea of Galilee after he was raised from the dead. And Peter was out there fishing with the guys, but they would, you know, Peter would swim in, he would sit down and have a talk with him. And Jesus pulls him off to the side. And what were the three things that Jesus told him? Listen, Peter, I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to tend my sheep and I want you to feed my sheep. It's just important to understand. And a called faithful shepherd will do just both. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, God gave to the church, you know, apostles and evangelists, and then one word, pastor, teacher, poemen, a feeder, a protector, a guide over the flock, over God's people. And so here, Paul is saying, take heed to the flock. Or Peter would say, uh, take heed to the flock, where Paul here says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Both focus on the shepherd being with the sheep. It's important. There are 
There are many shepherds throughout the land today. I will look at the pastors throughout the land who understand this and are very much among the sheep. Then there are others that they're a bit distant, they're unapproachable, they're, they're not real available, so their tending is from maybe a pulpit, but they're not among the flock. Sheep need shepherds that will be among the flock. Sheep need shepherds that know their sheep. It's interesting, Jesus, even as he's the model shepherd, it, it would say of him that, that, that he knows his sheep. He knows them by name. And his voice is familiar to, to them. I was at a wedding last night where there were a lot of people from our past. And the older I get, I'm realizing, man, there are a lot of people we have crossed paths with over the years. People move on, they move away. And, and it was interesting. Someone approached me and they, they, they said, you know, they, a couple, actually three or four people said this. They said, they haven't heard you in a long time. And, and they, I don't know, one person said, your voice is so soothing. I don't know what that meant. <laughs> but it was a familiar voice. And we knew each other. And we knew the names of our kids. And we could ask with depth about each other. There was life that we lived together. And even as the church grew over the years, this takes effort, this takes focus, not just from myself, but, but others who lead around here. We have, to, we have to work at this together to be among the flock among the body of Christ. And this is one of the challenges facing those that, that lead in the body of Christ today because there, there's the challenge of getting leaders to be among the sheep. But then there's the greater challenge as well of keeping the sheep together. The last two years, we've seen a lot of wandering sheep. And I don't know about you, but if you, if you were a, a real shepherd, let's just, let's just walk through the metaphor here. You were a real shepherd. You would, you would quite often bring sheep into the world. You would quite often be there with the mother when she's giving birth. And right then you would, you would name the sheep. Right then you would bring the sheep into the world. And, and, and then you would, you, would, you would tend that sheep. You would make sure that that sheep is fed. You would make sure that there were no predators that would harm that sheep. You would make sure that it was led where it needs to be led. We go through the whole, like, you know, Psalm 23, that picture of David, and, and what he was describing there in that psalm. We always tend to go to, that's our go-to funeral psalm. But what David was describing there was how he perceived God. And basically what he describes in those very short verses is that God was so well at taking care of every single part of his life, whether it was, you know, physical needs, whether it was his spiritual needs, protecting him and guiding him. And, 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 and David understood the dynamics of that. And that's what Jesus modeled to us as well. And this is what, what Paul and, and what Peter, as we refer to there in 1 Peter chapter 5, this is what they're encouraging the elders or the pastors or the spiritual leaders of the church to be. This is what the church needs. The flock will always need to be fed. 
And yet, we look back over the last four decades of churches across America, and a major, listen, not a, not a minor, but a major amount of these churches have minimized teaching God's word. Oh, the feeding trough is there. But what's, what's in it is not the, the spiritual, nourishing, enriching word of God that they need. And over the years, just so you know, this takes work. This takes effort in every area of ministry that we do. There is a priority of putting God's word out. I don't care where we're at, what we're doing, how fun it is or whatever. We're like, okay, we've got somewhere there has to be, you know, the, the opening of God's word. We were with a young adults all last week at Lake Havasun. We love the lake. We love being on boats. We love 115 degree temperature. We love it all. But each morning, I was, I'm, just, I'm just honored that they still let me play in their backyard. Would you come and hang out with us? Yeah, I'd love to go. I just love the fact. And, and, and they're like, hey, would you, would you, we're doing this whole theme this week on drawing near to God. Would you just, would you just, after we eat, would you just sit there and break open God's word? Absolutely. It's in our heart. What kind of shepherd would a shepherd be? The flock begins to grow and all of a sudden, he just, he's, he's just, He's not on the radar. He's not around. Or he starts to to replace in the feeding troughs what used to nourish them with something that no longer nourishes them. When you're growing up, if I gave my kids a choice between their vegetables and anything sweet, what do you think they went for? Yeah. But a loving mother and father are going to go, no, 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 we're not going to put Kool-Aid in the bottle. That's just not a cool thing, you know. We're, we're just not going to go down that road. And as we grew older, we're like, no, 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 you are going to eat healthy. And in the body of Christ, we need husbands and fathers. And, and I don't care what role a man or a woman has here in any kind of leading capacity that understands this flock is God's. It's Jesus. He paid for it. And they need to see it that way. And treat it with that conviction. And the love that he has for them. He's instilled in us. And any loving shepherd would be like all excited to watch a baby sheep feed. That would be just the coolest thing to watch, man. Just, or go there with the bo- whatever they would do in those days. And, and, and along the way, just to watch your kids. I, I can still remember when our kids started feeding themselves. Just a, an amazing thing to watch them grow. It's, as a dad, you're just excited about that. And as anyone who would tend and have spiritual oversight of others to watch them feed and to watch their hunger and to watch the nourishment of God's word mature them and to grow them, it just it builds your faith. You just want to be around that. You want to do that more. And this is important. And then he would say, and he gets serious. I believe this is very serious in verse 29. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Hmm. When he says, I know this, he's not just guessing into the future or about the future. He's talking from experience. Our, our Wednesday night 
group that gathers. We're going through the book of Galatians. And, and, and this, is, this is the heart. I was telling Lori this last night. I can't shake it. I just have this heavy, heavy burden for the church to warn them. And that's, that's what Paul was doing to the church in Galatia, in modern-day Turkey, because of the, 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 the voices outside the, the, the church, the voices that oppose God and the voices that, that twist his word and, 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 and add to his word and minimize his word. Those voices are so loud. And, and maybe it's because we're seeing the impact of those voices upon the church, not just in America, but our own church today. And, and it's, we see so many people as we're out in the community that used to be part of the flock and they're, they're wandering now. And, and you can't help as a shepherd but to have a heavy heart. And, and, and that's what I was telling Lori even last night. You just, I can't shake this. And, and this is what I believe, you know, the, Paul looks at this and he's looking at these guys and he says, you're, you're about to feel what I've been feeling. You're about to carry what I've been carrying. <laughs> you, you, I'm, I'm telling you guys, this is going to happen. Savage wolves will come in among you. Not, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men are going to rise up and, and speak perverse things to draw away the disciples, other leaders in your church. Guys are going to come in to draw them away to follow them. So in light of that, watch. And remember, guys, you know that for three years, I've been warning you. I've, been, I've had this heavy heart, and I've been telling you this, and he's repeating something that he's been saying now. For three years, night and day, with tears. With tears. Guys, you've got to protect the flock. He was familiar with what happened in Corinth. Paul was familiar with what happened in Galatia. You can read through 2 Corinthians 11 and Galatians chapter 1 and go, wow. Yeah, he's right. Savage wolves creep in or slither in. These words that Paul says here echo the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 verse 15 where he's telling the disciples, guys, beware of false prophets who, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're, they're ravenous wolves. And just understand, whenever God you know, starts a work, Satan sees that work. And Satan sees what is maturing that work and growing that work. And, and he, he's not clueless to that. And he goes, you know, the enemy knows that it is that it's prayer and it's, it's, it's the, the powerful word of God that's being taught and explained. It's the Holy Spirit working through that. He knows as he sees people redeemed and God gifts them and they begin to use their gifts. He sees all of that. He sees all of those people that are being stirred up and beginning to, to look beyond themselves and minister to others. Satan sees all of that. And so he's got his emissaries. He's got people that he can persuade. And, and the goal for him is to go in and pick off individuals in the body of Christ. To bring in those that can just dissuade, 
to bring in those that can just, you know, turn people away from following Jesus. To just minimize the word or to pervert the word or to twist the word. You know, there, there are times when I'm, I'm here and I, I'm, I, I, I teach and I see the work of God. I'm like, this is an amazing thing and we're on a run. This is great. It's like, man... I'm not waiting for the next shoe to drop or it's none of that. I just, but sometimes I go, this is almost too good to be true. And then I'll, I'll see the evidence of the foothold of the enemy. And it might come in the form of someone that I've led to the Lord. I've opened the word of God with them. I've watched them find a spouse here. I just see God working in their life and then they'll, they'll come up to me and they all of a sudden have a different view of whatever in the scripture. And all of a sudden they have a different view of me and they have a different view of us. And all of a sudden I'm off base. And this isn't something I'm like afraid of or something that I, I'm definitely not, it's not something I'm not familiar with. I'm very familiar with any one who's pastored the link that I have will tell you, oh yeah, on a regular basis, Satan is busy trying to do just that. Is it, does it hurt you? Yeah, it hurts. But what, what I do when I see that is I, I'm, I'm mindful of these things and I realize, you know what? I, I've got to be more vigilant. I always think, what could I have done differently in this case? Who could I have been more in their life? How could I have been more in their life? And I take it personal that way. I don't let my ego get stung. It's more of like, I'm going to learn from this. And I'm going to love them. I can't tell you how many times last year, Lori and I stood at that back door and put our hands on people and prayed that God would bless them as they were telling us they're leaving because we have issues. That's just what happened the last two years. But it's part of it. And I know there's a serious tone in this room right now because you're like, please don't think that I'm that person, Lance. And it grieves our heart as we see what's happened over the last couple of years. But that's, that's, that's what can happen. And maybe that's why we need to, you know, settle down right now, examine ourselves. Think of who we are before the Lord and then really think about who we are to each other. Really think about that. Do you really care about the, the youth? I mean, really, do you like pray for our kids in the, in the children's ministry? When you see them here, would you even be available when the announcement or the opportunity comes? You guys remember when you were in junior high? Remember how you took your brain and you put it on a shelf for like two years? Remember that? Some of you are like, I haven't taken it back off yet. I'm, you know. But, yeah, I, I remember that. And I, I'm so grateful for these two guys that came into my life and, and, and like, helped me think for two years. You, you should have that heart. You should be praying about the body, mindful of the body, the high schoolers, young adults, all, and, and just one another. This whole VBS week that's coming up, man, <laughs> 
There could be 600 kids in this room tomorrow morning. You follow me? And they will all be doing hand motions. They're not, none of them are too cool like I was. Peter talks about in 2 Peter chapter 2 some of these false prophets. I just want to highlight a few things he says. He's, these guys that slither into the church. He, he really drills in on it. In verse 10 he says, They walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. They despise authority. They're presumptuous. Like they're very, they're very daring, they're very bold. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. They're self-willed, which means it's all about themselves. It's not about the Lord. And then he calls them natural brute beast made to be caught and destroyed. In other words, like unreasoning animals whose destiny really is just to be slaughtered. But they will receive the wages of unrighteousness. And then he goes on to verse 13 and says there are spots and, and blemishes. In other words, they actually defile the assembly. They have eyes full of adultery and cannot cease from sin, inciting unstable souls. The idea is that their eyes, they have eyes that look for personal gratification by taking advantage of people. And they, they've they have a heart trained in covetous practices. They, 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 they're, just, they're just covetous. They forsake the right way. And, and, and that's just, just a glimpse of what, what Peter saw and what he wanted the, the elders to be warned about as well in his letter. But here in verse 30, from, also from among yourselves... Not just from the outside, but just people from the inside are going to get sideways and rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. I, I, I could give a number of examples. But I, I just want to say that there are times when, and we think that sometimes the intentions are well, but, but, but people will go to a church like ours or another church, and they, they just make it about themselves. And it might be, oftentimes, it's, it's maybe a different philosophy or a different view on eschatology or soteria, on salvation or end times or different things. And they just, they, they love an audience. And they just, they love drawing people after themselves. I, I shared on Wednesday night as we talked about this that Years ago, I used to take all these surfers out to, to West Covina on, um, on Sunday nights. And we'd take truckloads, and I mean lots of them, a whole wing. And Raul would teach, and Raul saw that, and he surfed, and I made surfboards for him and his sons and everything. We, were, we got real close, and he would always, come on, man, let's go out to eat afterwards. And, and, and we would all go out to eat after Raul, with Raul, and you know, Raul would buy us all tacos and food and everything. And there was this one group that just... They just kind of stood off to the side. They, they weren't part of our surf shop. They weren't part of our scene, but they were there and they were really cool. And, and before long, I, I just listened to their conversations and they just were very heady and they began to talk in different terms and using, just had a different philosophy. 
And before long, part of our group just began to sit with them every Sunday night. I remember watching this. And after a short amount of time, these guys who got saved in our Bible study began to be very heady, began to have different views, and began to disappear. And early on, I saw that. And these, these guys kind of came in. They were part of us. And, but, they, but they had an agenda. Listen. This is what's smart. This is what's wise. This is what's safe. When you start to build relationships in the body of Christ, build relationships with people who talk a lot about Jesus. Build relationships with people who, who, who build you up, who, who really are interested in you, who really want to learn from you as well. That's where you want to let the walls down. That's where you want to begin to, you know, trust is something you build. And if, if they've been around here for a while, there's a, there's a good chance they're trustworthy people. And, 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 and as we're, we're a newer congregation, now following the pandemic and God has shuffled the deck of ministries all around the nation... I think it's wise to give some time, but look at their focal point. If it's all about them and it's all about what you need to know and they're the, they're, they're the one that gives counsel but can never receive it, they're the one that's giving all the information but can never receive it, I would be very patient with that person, very cautious with that person. And then you could look at all of these other poor qualities that have been called out here and, 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 and see if that, that would fit as well. Just... Just guard yourself. Be wise with relationships, whether it's here, wherever that might be um, as well. You know, the Eastern Shepherd had a watchtower. They had a watchtower. They'd climb in that thing. They could look over the horizon. There were all kinds of different enemies. Animals and lions and bears, hyenas and jackals and wolves. There were birds of prey that could take the young sheep away. And then there were, there were robbers, human beings that would come in and just, <laughs> they made business out of stealing sheep and selling them. But a faithful shepherd is going to warn his flock. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn every night and day with tears. Watch. It could be Heresy that has that snuck into the church. It could be philosophy that's outside of the church that's coming into the church. How does the philosophy of the world that contradicts God's word, how does it sneak into the church? How does it creep into the church? It creeps in when we open our hearts to it. It creeps in when we, when we, when we drink it up. And so over the years, you, you know, there, there, there'll be something going on in, in, in our culture, a social issue, that we feel that, oh, this needs to be addressed. I remember back in, in, in 08 of November, we had, we had Prop 8 here, and, and our, our, our state, at least, voted. And there was this decision made by our state that marriage is going to be between one man and one woman. And I remember we celebrated that. We, we, we encouraged people to vote that way, to, 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 to vote biblical values, right? You guys remember that? Yeah. And I remember warning the church. And I remember the pushback I got from people as well. Oh, well, you know, you're, 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 
whatever their view was about my view of the homosexual community. And I remember just having talks with Christians. No, it's, 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 it's not God honoring that two women would get married or two men would get married. We want to do what is God honoring. Amen? That's what we want to do. And so it might not be popular to, to warn in those areas. And I might get some pushback and, and, and whatever. It's ratcheted way up, as you can tell, these days. But I do remember opening God's word and bringing clarity and direction as to why you should vote this way. Simple. We could fast forward. And we could look at all of the pitfalls of COVID. We could look at all of the lawlessness that took over our major cities over the last couple of years. We could look at the BLM movement that surfaced, critical race theory. We could look at all of that. And we, we didn't back off. We look at all of the attempts in the last couple of years to remove God out of our culture and to remove God out of our history. We opened up God's word. We gave clarity. We gave direction. We warned. When Roe v. Wade was overturned, as a shepherd, I felt like I needed to be here. I left the vacation. I came back and I opened God's word and I said, this is is God's word on life. And we warned. We cautioned. Now we got this whole transgender thing. Some of you are hearing that since Roe v. Wade, Planned Parenthood is trying to get offices on public school campuses. Last year, President Biden chose a transgender named Rachel Levine to be the assistant health secretary. Yesterday I was reading and I read a, just an interesting quote by her or him or whatever you want to label, used to label Rachel Levine. But Rachel Levine said, and I quote, gender affirming care is medically necessary, safe and effective for transgender and non-binary children and adolescents. This is a high-ranking official of our land, appointed by the President of the United States. So, uh, so this morning, I would say, as an example of what Paul is asking men like me to do, would be, warning, warning, warning. This is prevalent right now. I would say, no, no, no. We would look to God's word, and we'd say, no, 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 no. Each human is made in the image and the likeness of God, created by God with a purpose in mind, and that includes what gender they will be and live out. That's just biblical. That's biblical. That's not, that's not hate speech. I'm not a racist for saying that. That's correct. That's biblically accurate. So no... Gender-affirming care is not medically necessary, it's not safe, and it's not effective for anyone. And it's definitely not necessary health care. Castrating a boy is not health care. It's mutilation that will bring devastating results upon that boy's life. 
Giving a young girl a mastectomy or making her sterile is not health care. It's damaging a body and devastating a future. A plan that God had planned out. With pitfall after pitfall, you warn your sheep. You do so with love in your heart for them and love in your heart for the lost. But you present God's word because that's what both need. We need clarity. We need direction. We need encouragement. The lost need Jesus. Amen? Amen. So now, brethren, in verse 32, I, I commend you to God and, and, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What is he saying? He's warning these pastors. This is what he's saying. Can I say it this way? Guys, don't get shallow. Don't get shallow. We cannot build the church unless God is daily building our lives. Don't get shallow. There's a balance between prayer here. I commend you to God and the word of God. The word of his grace. These work hand in hand. The early church in chapter 6, remember, there was the dispute over the Hellenist widows and all that, and the leaders of the church were like, you got to pick out several of your own to deal with those kind of tasks. But we've got to give ourselves, the leaders, to prayer and to the word of God. In committing them to the word of his grace, Paul was not only telling them to focus on the heart of God's word, but he was advising these pastors to live their lives by the grace of, by the, by the grace of God. Guys, you must focus on God's grace. You must live out God's grace. As Pastor Chuck used to say, error on the side of God's grace. The third stanza of, of amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That third stanza. "'Twas grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. This place will be a very safe place if we continue to proclaim God's word and live out God's word as God's word. Amen? Amen. But we've got to live it out as the gospel of grace. We could take these same principles and live them out in a very legalistic way, a very heavy-handed way, right? I could come out here next week in a really big, tall hat and a ring and stand at the back door rather than, like, hug you. I could kiss my ring. That's where it can go. It just gets really goofy, man, and we're wearing robes and big hats. You follow me? So, so what does grace do? You know what grace does? I always go back to that sinful woman that ran into the Pharisee Simon's house where Jesus was invited over to, like, eat lunch. And she just was weeping at his feet and just wiping his feet with her tears and her hair and all that. And Simon the Pharisee, fluffing his robes, is like Jesus read his mail, basically was, how in the world, you being this, you know, supposed rabbi, would you even dare to let such low living 
come into my house, let alone just like even touch your feet. Jesus read his heart. And he realized that's not grace. That's what the law does. And he's like, Simon, you know, I came in here. You didn't wash my feet. That's beneath me. That's what the law does. You didn't, you didn't wash my feet. This woman, since she's been here, she hasn't stopped washing my feet. And then it was this whole thing. You know, Simon, those that have been forgiven much, or they realize what God has done for them, grace, right? They've been forgiven much, loves much. A safe body is not just a group of people who have landed on correct orthodoxy. Just we have a sound doctrine. It's people who are, who are living it out in grace. And one of the, the chief characteristics, like the thing you're going to see if grace is being lived out and understood and lived out is love, unconditional love. Like I'm, I'm living in awareness when I see someone blow it. I'm a blow it helping someone that blew it. Amen? That was a really weak amen, by the way. I put myself way out there. Amen? If we're going to be effective in our Ephesus, California Christians, we got to live out grace. We need to be spirit-filled, spirit-led, humble servants, loving others. Listen, we can't be too busy. Don't be too busy. Don't miss out. Don't miss out on what God is going to do in this season. Second generation. Everyone talks about the good old days. They went to church every night of the week. You know, when they're first saved, it was all oh, Jesus, Jesus. Yes, and that's what happens. Maybe there's a good, hey, Lance, put your name there. You guys have done really well. You just have. I look at the work, what you've persevered through, especially the last two years, man. Oh, the Lord would look at us and go, you guys pressed on, you that stuck together. But maybe he would look at the body right now. He knows our hearts. But the whole like love thing. What drives you? Paul would say the love of Christ constrains me. I want you to think through that. We could say it's the love for Christ. Or we could say it's the love of Christ. He was walking in daily awareness of, of, of who Jesus was and that Jesus loved him. I don't think Paul ever forgot that Damascus Road day. You follow me? And it drove him and drove him and drove him. If the love of Christ is constraining you, you're going to get in my way. You just are. If the love of Christ is the wind in your sails, you're going to be like, get out of my way. I'm busy for Jesus. And that's what it's going to take. To not wane. To not diminish, to finish well. All of my pastoral friends right now that started with me, you know, a bunch of them, they're always around here. 
we're getting a little bit older, and, and almost every time I'm, I'm done talking to him on the phone, I say, hey, man, I love you. Hey, let's finish well. And then we're saying that back to each other now. And it ain't because we're in our 60s. It's because we've done this a few years. And we're just like, we're, we're encouraging, come on, man, let's finish well. It isn't like we're in our walkers and I'm trying to, like, push you along. It isn't that kind of a picture. It's this world, can I just say this, will kick your backside. Can I say that? All right, I did. And we're seeing far too many Christians getting kicked around, being led astray. And I love you. Our church leadership loves you. We love our community. And we want to finish well. Amen? Amen. There's more to say. I'll, I'll share it with the next group because they, 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 go, they go quicker than you for some reason. Let's all stand. We love you, Lord, and thank you for the portion of Scripture we were able to consider. And these are, these are heavy considerations. Help us, Lord. This crazy world and this crazy day and age in which we live. So many terms to define it. But it's evil and it's dark and people are lost. And as we've been talking about, we, are, we, we need to be tethered to you. Tethered to you, Holy Spirit, and what you're doing. Help us to finish well. Help us to, if our love for you has diminished in any way, our affection, our availability to you, our availability to just be used by you in any way, Lord, and show that to us this morning. And may we, as you've invited us to do in Revelations, to remember from where we came from and then repent, you said. And that's to turn away from whatever we are pursuing that leads us away from you and, and turn back to you. So embrace hearts that are turning back to you even now, Lord. And any here online that might even need to be giving their life to you, they've never been saved, that's you. You can call out to the Lord right now and say, I'm not, I'm not a Christian and I realize I'm a sinner and I ask you to save me, Jesus. Ask him to come into your life. Lord, continue to take care of your bride until you come back and take us out of here. And we'd appreciate if you'd hurry up. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you guys.